You've heard it all your life, and not just from your mother, although you probably did hear it from your mother. You have such a great voice. Did you ever think of doing voiceover? Let's demystify this fun, flexible industry here on The VoiceOver Pod with Justine Reese, brought to you by Such A Voice. I'm Justine, and I'll be your host for the next 30 minutes or so, where we will talk to people that have sat in your shoes and then became successful in the voiceover industry. We'll talk to people who hire voiceover talent. We'll talk about recording, sound, auditioning, casting. We're going to share some stories. We're going to share some secrets. And then, who knows, you may be my next guest. Hello and welcome to The VoiceOver Pod, brought to you by Such A Voice. I'm your host, Justine Reese, and I am really excited to bring our guest today, Doug Jones. You may know him as uh, creatures you have seen in film like Pan's Labyrinth and Shape of Water and numerous other things. And what I find most fascinating um, about Doug is his background, what brought him to start playing creatures, where he is now. And we're going to talk about the use of voice, creature sounds, and when you don't use the voice, which I find extremely fascinating. Welcome, Doug. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, We are so excited to have you. So briefly in your own words, if you can give us a little background, I, I, first of all, I got to meet Doug at the Epic Impact Society event, and I got to interview him a little bit. And I was just so fascinated because one of the things you mentioned to me was your background starting in mime. And I know when I started studying theater, I had to study mime too. (laughs) And I even lived in France for a little while and studied mime. So talk about maybe what led you there. Even as a kid, were you always wanting to use movement, be on stage? Just Give us the background of where your dreams started and how you got to where you are now. Yeah, well, you know, first of all, um, I, it seems like such a good fit to have a mime on a voiceover podcast. But... <laughs> totally. Makes like, <laughs> so much sense. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I um, I started on the high school stage as, the, you know, I was just the kind of like the goofy theater boy at my high school. And um uh, and but physicality has always been a part of my life. Uh, I think, I think because of insecurities, you know, I wanting to make sure everybody got the point or, um, so I would flap my hands around and make a lot of facial expressions and tilt my head a lot or whatever. Um, did you get that, like, were you like class clown and, in, in at yes. school, that kind of thing? Okay. I love it. Mm-hmm. Yes, I was. <laughs> uh, and that was kind of a defense mechanism, you know, um, because being a very tall, skinny kid, uh, who, I was not very athletic, uh, um, you know, and when you're going to a small Catholic high school, it's just it's so easy to make fun of someone like me. Uh-huh. Uh, oh, so they wow. did. And, uh-huh. and and so the way to combat that was to walk into the room doing something funny so that I could control why they were laughing. Right. Did you know that you were doing that as you were doing it or was it no. just it started I can happening? look back and analyze it now. But at the oh, time, okay. I was just I, I think, we, you know, it, when you're a teenager, you're just trying to survive the day. And then you 100%. realize, oh, that's what I'm doing. hundred <laughs> percent. I, I so get that. I mean, it's yeah. funny because I, I tell the story of being, you know, being afraid to stand out. I was too, I wanted to fit in. I wanted to be the Farrah Fawcett curls and the the popular gang. <laughs> and I achieved it. I achieved it. And my parents made me go to drama camp to bring that out of me. And I was really mad at them at the time, but it changed everything. Um, yeah. So, so this is really fascinating. Okay. So as this started working for you, what happened next? 
<laughs> well, yeah, well, um, being on stage and getting laughs and getting awes and getting, oh, uh, was so, it was it's, something, something about me was working with an audience. And, and I, I, so I caught, the, I caught the fever and had to keep going. So I went to Ball State University in Indiana, where I lived. I, uh, and I, parents wouldn't let me major in theater. They would let me, but I could minor in theater if I majored in something that I could actually work in one day. So, oh I, my gosh, I talk about this in my classes a lot. I, I want to yeah. spend a second just talking about this. Yeah. As an adult who has achieved, you know, greatness and major money doing the thing mm -hmm. you love, what do you have to say to parents when they do make that, you know, it's it's hard when your kid wants to do, go into something artistic and you worry about them suffering or not making money. How do you support them without just saying, hey, do it as something to fall back on? And, and maybe do you regret that you didn't major in theater? Maybe it was great that you did it. No, I really, you know, uh, because I find, you know, in, in my adult life, I'm finding that no one looks at my college career at all, you know, <laughs> so <true>. you know, <laughs> right. Uh, We're not suggesting that you say you went to Yale if you did. Right. <laughs> Right. But um, no, uh, in the, uh, Midwestern parents uh, yeah. with, a, with a child who has, a, you know, a flair for the arts, I think the sensible thing is to say, you know, here are the odds. The, right. uh, here's a, the percentage of people that make a full time living from their art. Not much. Right. right? right. Uh, so my parents were, you know, they were just being very balanced and, and, and sensible. Yeah. Uh, so I can't blame them for that. No. Right. Uh, but at the same time, uh, you you don't want to kibosh someone's dreams. Right. You want to massage them and, and encourage them, but with a sensibility of like, you know, you do will one day have to pay your own bills. So right. you, you can figure out how to do that. Right. Then right. again, right. Godspeed. So, <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, so I, you know, I think for me, um, thank heaven that I am where I am today and that I have made a full time living from from uh, acting. Uh, had no idea that that coup was possible back in Indiana as a teenager. Yeah. But um, but the one thing that, that I would tell parents is it, when you turn on your TV or go to a movie theater and there's something on it and there's someone on it, that means that it can be done. So why not your kid? Right. A hundred percent. And yeah. and what I like to tell students and what I like to tell my own kids is, yeah, you might be working at a restaurant for a while or you might find a job that is not your dream job but look at it as an investment in your dream. Mm -hmm. And I think that concept, if you can grasp that as opposed to, you know, because I know my kids, I have a 22 year old and a 19 year old, and they're both pursuing artistic fields, not, not on stage, but more graphic art filmmaking. Mm -hmm. And um, the older one is sometimes struggles with that, you know, like, I know I hate what I'm doing, but it's, it's not forever. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's a means to an end and yeah. you can, create there's so many opportunities and what i like to say opportunities if you prepare for them okay so let's get back to <laughs> what happened next did you start doing yeah. plays and then you got the reaction and you found your your tribe so to speak right and then uh, when i went to ball state university my freshman year up there living in the dorm there was a senior that lived down the hall from me named reed k Steele. And he would watch me and observe me as I walked about the building. Uh, and if I was goofing around with my friends at, at the in the cafeteria downstairs or whatever, he approached me one day and said, have you ever heard of the art of mime? And I was like, well, you know what? I think I've heard about pantomime in my drama class in high school. He goes, OK, we're, we're on the right page. Uh, and he said, you might be really good at that. I run the my, the student-run mime troupe here on campus called Mime Over Matter. Get it? Come on now. Yeah. Come on and, now. Uh, and I he said, we it. have a show. 
Please tell <laughs> me there's still, it's still, you're, uh, you know, you get to go back and please tell me that's still going on. I don't know that. I don't think the troupe is still together. All I don't right. know, we're gonna, we're, uh, somebody bring it back. Somebody I know. Back. I know. Okay. But uh, <laughs> that was 40 years ago. So. <laughs> I love it. Mime over matter. Brilliant. Okay. Yeah. 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 So uh, he invited me to come see one of their shows. I I did and was mesmerized by all the storytelling that could happen without verbal dialogue. And I, I witnessed so much visual dialogue and was like, oh, my gosh. Um, so it did seem like a really good fit because I already had been trained myself to communicate visually, you know, just yeah. for that survival thing. Yeah. And, and uh, so I, I auditioned for the Mime Troupe and got in. And that's uh, that began began my college career of miming. Uh, so I became by the time I was a senior, I was the Reed K. Steele. I was the I was the leader of the Mime Troupe and, and, and you know. Uh, uh, getting young younger folk to say like you know hey, you could be a mime too right. you go down so, you saw them walking down the hallway but what about right. i mean you are when you read your bio um contortionist comes up now yeah, oh yeah you realize yeah. you were a contortionist or do you really think you are a contortionist uh, yeah no i'm not a circus act uh i i can <laughs> i can put my legs behind my head uh go, you know rolling forward um and that's my one i'm a one trick pony with that um but uh being flexible like that you put that on your resume when you're a young actor and then you see where that takes you and my, oh my gosh you'd be surprised how many tv commercials and sitcoms and or or movies that wanted a sight gag of some sort plugged in somewhere uh where that got me in the door that the, right. that little leg trick okay all right and you mentioned that in in their interview uh with trisha so okay so now we're now we're doing mime and what happens what happens next after college and the mime troops rocking and rolling yeah well I, my first job out of college was as a mime at a theme park called king's island in cincinnati ohio so i was getting paid a you know a meager salary to do I my i just have art. to tell you we have this in common because that was one of my i went to my first job was the renaissance fair uh -huh. that led me to a theme park so i want to say you know, I think when I was coming up, I would have thought theme park jobs were cheesy and not a value. But in essence, they give you an opportunity to perform and get paid a decent amount of money and really practice your craft on yeah. a regular basis. I mean, where else would you have been able to do that, right? No, especially in the Midwest. Again, I, I that was that was my a, a young person's option. And theme parks all over hire a, a you know buttload of, of of performers. Totally. And again, talk about finding your tribe. I was I was in a green room every day between my performances on the street, uh, hanging out with singer, dancers, and other street performers. That that you know those are my people. You know, amazing. And yeah. you know, and that now I'm just remembering back to when I started at the theme park. It was the in, it was well, I started out doing improv street mouse fear. They called it. Oh at dear sakes. <laughs> Disney MGM Studios to create the illusion of Hollywood. Yeah. But I then had some skills physically as well um, in stage combat, and yeah. they needed actors who could do stunts for the Indiana Jones Epic Stunt Spectacular. Ah. And it's funny how these things, like you're saying, you know, the mime's coming back. I'm doing, I'm getting into motion capture which yeah. for video games, and it's a very physical uh, element. And you talk about those special skills. I just recorded myself cracking a bullwhip, which I learned to do at the Indiana Jones Epic Stone Spectacular. Okay, so see? Listen up, people, because just get, do the thing, right? Do Follow the breadcrumbs, which is what, this is an interesting tale. Okay, so at the theme park, how long did you work there? I was just there for the, for the one summer season. It went into okay. the fall. 
And by then it was like, so that's when, you know, in the Midwest, the theme parks shut down during the cold months. Right. So that was right. not a full-time career option. Right, 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 uh, right, right. Wasn't yeah. So then I, I started looking into those full-time career options, which were wear a tie and hold a briefcase and do something, you know, civilized. Right. So the so investment up, in the dream and, job. I gotcha. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I ended up in North Manchester, Indiana, a small town of 6,000 people in the northern part of the state uh, as an advertising salesman for um, the uh, a newspaper. So I sold ad space in uh, in our very tiny newspaper that came out twice a week. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I bet were you did you enjoy that? Were you good at it? Or was it like, Ugh, mm. get me out of here? Uh, enjoyed it i love the small town vibe i really do it's like it was like living in a hallmark movie which i love so uh but i also found myself not really caring about you know being a good ad salesman i was a better mime so uh, uh when uh when i got to town they, the newspaper put out a you know we have a new employee in their newspaper someone at the library locally there uh, called the newspaper office to talk to me and said, are, are you the Doug Jones that was a mime at Ball State University? I'm like, yes. Oh, well, I went there too, said the librarian. Uh, and uh, and we, would you be open to do a performance here at um, at our, you know, we have a like a, a elementary school reading hour on the, on a weekday. Would we, we'd love to have mix it up and have you come instead this, you know, next Tuesday. And so I did that. And the newspaper sent a photographer with me to, put that on the front page, like uh, a big, you know, so once that got out that I do this mind thing, you know, I, you know, white face paint and, you know, little clown the sort of thing. markings yeah. and everything included. Uh, then I started getting calls all, you know, Hey, can you come perform at the Rotary club at the Kiwanis club at the Optimus club at the, this church, that boy scout, girl scout troop, this school that function, that parade. So I ended up having a side gig for, you know, two years while I lived there, um, doing mime on, on at nights and weekends. Oh my gosh. So this is, I'm curious about, uh, something because I think this is something that we struggle with as performers when we have to negotiate our own contracts and yeah, oh God, at our own yes. rate. What, how did you do that? I'm, I'm hoping that you did set some kind of rate. As I mean, I did, but it, but it was, I was so affordable, but I also, I, you know, I'm, I'm a Kmart, Walmart type shopper myself. So, so I know the value hunters, of if saying. you make yeah. it cheap enough, I'll go buy there. Right. So, so I made well, it wasn't cheap. like you had to under undersell because I, I can't imagine you had a lot of competition. No, there was no, absolutely. <laughs> exactly. I didn't have to. Yeah, I was. I didn't have to, you know, uh, down, down, uh, down. What would have right, right, exactly. Yeah. But, uh, but, but I made it affordable so that anybody could hire me for anything. So I made it a dollar a minute. Most of my shows are oh about my a half God, hour. A dollar a minute. I love it. A dollar a minute. So I, uh, yeah, if you wanted me for a half hour show, $30. 30 bucks. And, I, and I, if it was out of, outside of the town, if it was in a, a neighboring town, which I started doing travel then, pay, travel yeah, pay. Word traveled around the northern part of the state. So I traveled a bit. So I added a per mile, you know, little gas charge on top of it. So, you know, oh my God. it was okay, a nice well, little side income. It was a side income. I gotcha. Okay. So how long did that go on for? The two years uh, there okay. in North Manchester. And then um, I was married by this point uh, with my college sweetheart, who now she now graduated a couple of years after me. So right after we got married, um, we were talking with her uncle out here in California. Ooh, he lives up time. in Fresno, California uh, as a bank manager, a branch manager. And okay. you know, how are you kids doing? And, uh, you know, I told him, you know, well, my career at the newspaper had reached its ceiling. You know, there's only so far you can go in a small town. I didn't own the paper, so. 
He said, well, you know what? I, we have this management training program out here. If you send me a resume, I could you know, send it to our HR department or whatever. So I did, and he did. And I got a call. And so I thought, you know what? So I flew myself out, out here to California, uh, interviewed. And I interview well, which is the problem. Uh, so they thought I would be a great fit for the bank. Right. <laughs> and and I got this job as a, an operations officer trainee, which would uh, which was a nine month training program. At the end of which would put me into a branch of a bank as an operations officer, holding a wad of keys, supervising a line of tellers. Right now, I'm just curious about something. This is so fascinating because we talk so much about mindset. And yeah. especially with with people that are getting into voiceover and, you know, the, the doubts of will I ever get a job and all these things, because what right. we do is help people really get their careers started. And you never know. Right. But I'm just curious at this point, because you seem like you you're you're the kind of person that just is happy doing what you're doing. Were you thinking, hey, this mime thing and this performing thing? maybe I could actually make this work or were you still like, it's still a side hustle. I'm just, I'm going to work at a bank and that's where, what I want to do. What was your mindset? Yeah, no, um, uh, I ha I still dreamt that maybe I could, you know, be a performer professionally full time okay. one day okay. doing some, you know, yeah. and, uh, uh, the mime was, it was, it was an act that I had in my back pocket. I could pull out at any moment and didn't have right. to rehearse anymore, you know? Yeah. Right. So, uh, so getting here to that first, you know, the, that nine month training program, I was thinking, you know what, I'm a banker now. I'm going to hold that briefcase. I'm going to wear that tie. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to you know, learn. I'm going to be the banker. Yeah, I you know, <laughs> and then I found out shortly uh, that I suck at banking, and and the bank realized it too about eight months into the program with uh -oh. one month to go, and I had to sit down with my supervisor saying, you know what, we're, we're wasting money keeping you in the training program because you're just not getting it, and she wasn't wrong, you know, uh, I would have fired me too, honestly. Okay, so the banking door just closed. Yeah, just closed. Maybe yeah, a window opened, right? That was that was an absolute blessing from heaven above because I, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I might have been uh, upset for about an hour, you know, and then I realized I'm free. Oh my god! And, right, I'm not. I'm not in the bank vault anymore. Right, right. right. And the reason to to take the bank job because uh, I, he, yeah, un Uncle David was in France, was in um, Fresno. And I requested that the, you know, uh, are there any openings in, for this program in Los Angeles? Because I knew that one day I would like to roll out of the bank and become, in, 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 join the showbiz. Okie dokie. So, that's, so the bank made that decision for me a bit earlier than I expected okay. by saying, get out of here. Now we're living in Los Angeles. I'm on unemployment. Mrs. Lori has a, has a job as a receptionist at an advertising agency. Okay. And they're thinking, Ooh. okay, now what? Um so I started looking through what we had a magazine back then called Drama Log. Drama Log. Oh yes, I yes. remember when we would do shows and get the reviewers from Drama Log. Yeah, Drama Log's right. not not around anymore, right? Okay. Well, it, I think it was it, it got bought out by uh, Backstage West or Backstage exactly. right and then it became a, a dot .com, I think. Everything's a dot .com now. Everything's a dot .com now. Yeah. But but Who back knew? then it was a once a week magazine came out on Thursdays and you or tabloid and you would rifle through it to see all the casting notices that were available what, without what an agent. What year are we involved. talking? Let's let's get some chronology. Oh, this, oh, this is nineteen. Oh gosh, this is nineteen eighty. Uh, I was fired in, in November of eighty five, <laughs> and I started like pursuing this in in January nineteen eighty six. Okay, great. Okay, got it. So, so I'm you know uh, so I started submit. I, I took I I didn't have any headshots or a resume. I had no idea what to do with that. 
So yeah. I thought, uh, you know, maybe maybe I need to take a TV commercial acting class on camera because I didn't have that in my college curriculum. Of course. And I so and Dramalogue had all those ads in it for photographers and cl- acting classes right. and whatnot. Right. So I, uh, I I had the presence of mind to think maybe I can audit a few classes and to pick the right one. So five cl- classes, I made a lot of phone calls. Five of them said, yes, you can come for free for one night. I so love I the research that you did. That is brilliant that you had the foresight to do that. Oh, yeah. thank you. And uh, and then I um, I went back to the one class that made sense to me and the instructor that I really connected with. Uh, his name was Philip Carr. God rest his soul. He passed away many years ago. But uh, he um, he he was a funny guy from New York that kind of got me. Yeah. And uh, and uh, so in my in my when I came back from my second class that I started paying for w- weekly, he approached me and said, "Do you have an agent yet?" And I said, "I don't know what an agent. I don't know is. what you're talking about. Can you please yeah. explain agent?" Yeah, <laughs> I worked at a bank. <laughs> right, I'm kind of fresh from the bank. Yeah, right. So, so he um he uh gave me his card and he said, "Call me at the office." And it was uh, Wilhelmina Agency, which is a huge modeling agency. Modeling agency, right? In, in New York, and and they had an LA branch, and their LA branch had a huge TV commercial department that was like in the top ten in the city. So I, you know, here the guy, he's president of the West Coast operation, yeah, handing me his card saying, "Call me." So I'm like, I fell into someone's hands without even pursuing it. Um, I did call. You I went in and met. It. Let's let's be real. I mean, I feel like you know you didn't have to go searching for an agent. That part came to you, but right. you re- I just want people who are listening to hear this because yeah. the way that you can translate that to today, if you want to, you know, pursue commercial acting, get into voiceover, absolutely shop around. Um, there's so much out there, and you know, of course, we want you to to come come visit with us, but maybe we're not a good fit, right? So you go. And you see what you need. And and that's what you did. And for some reason, you found the person that you connected with. And that yeah. led you to, you know, these are following the breadcrumbs. It's it's the it's, right. it's the journey of life. Like, you know, what am I doing in Fresno at a bank? And that led you here. So, <laughs> so anyway, Wilhelmina, so, go in. Yeah. And now I go, I went in and I met with all the agents there. We all fell in love with each other. And I, and they represented me from, so I started as a non-union actor. I started going out on auditions about once a week. They found me an opportunity where someone would take me, a casting director would, would want be okay seeing me. And about six months in, I booked my first commercial and that was my Taft-Hartley into the SAG. Um, now, we, and, I know we saw some clips when we were at the, uh, at the award show. Yeah. Was it the, I, and one I recognized for sure with the, I forgot what it was, but the, you were the moon. The moon had Mac tonight for McDonald's. Mac tonight. For, now was that, that was later. That was early on. Um, that was actually, early on. Um, yeah. So, my, my so, first, the, so I'll try, I don't know if we are a lot, we can insert some, some imagery here, but, <laughs> but tell us about that. Cause I think people will remember it when you tell. Please. Sure. My uh, well, my my first commercial booking was for Southwest Airlines as a dancing mummy for their summer fun fairs or something. Um, <laughs> so immediately, was it was physicality that brought you into your immediately. Career. Yes, right off the bat. Okay. Well, great. and and um, Agent Phil uh, knew that uh, on my resume was mime and contortionist. Once we put that resume together, so casting directors really responded to that. And I want to say, I just want to say, because I am part of a, another group where we meet weekly with different casting people and, and producers and directors, and a lot of them talk about that special skill thing. And not only, you know, so think about the things you do, because like, I forgot about that I could crack a bullwhip. 
right? And yeah. somebody asked me recently. And so I just went out and I'm like, I can I have a bullwhip. I can still crack a bullwhip. Well, <laughs> that's random, right? There's not a lot of people that can do that. Yeah. So think about those things you do and where they might lead you and make sure that casting people know, and this goes for voiceover too, um, don't lead with necessarily, I can do a French accent, <laughs> right. right? That might not be the thing that's going to get you your first job, but right. it might help you get something over somebody else. So these are important things to keep in mind. True, true. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so uh, shortly after the Southwest Airlines commercial, I did a, a another a commercial mm, a couple months later for uh, uh, Worlds of Wonder, a, a toy company. It was a doll commercial, and I was an alien landing in, in a in a child's backyard, and I played with the doll, thinking that, that we'd made first contact with a doll who talked. <laughs> uh, then. Then I got a bit Bob's Big Boy commercial as a human, as a nerd with like horn rim glasses. This is back in the you know eighties nerd days with you know yes, that was like a, the movie The Nerds exactly plaid pants, pocket protector, glasses with tape <laughs> oh, on them, the yeah. whole thing. Now, and these other commercials, had you not was it only physical and no no verbal or or some were both? Well, yeah. Uh, so this this but the Bob's Big Boy commercial was me having a line of dialogue as a human, just being a funny, goofy character guy. So that was the first first time with the dialogue. At yes. That okay. Great. Got you. And then, uh, then the next job job that I got was the Mac Tonight campaign for McDonald's, and that I had no Dude. idea that I landed something as large as I had. And uh, back in those days, you know, national commercials like it, it's a little different now. But back in those yeah. days, man, do you remember right. that first? Do you remember the first? Uh, year to date you got on that on that spot yeah right <laughs> I, I i yes i believe that my first year with the mac tonight campaign running now mind you getting the job was it was a four commercial deal right off the bat and right and i talk about this we talk about this in our introductory class so just to remind everybody when you do a national commercial uh they can cut it into to many different things that doesn't even mean, mean you have to go back and record anything i'm talking for voiceover right. or be back on camera but they negotiate, you know, out of the gate. They're going to do a 15 second, 30 second or whatever. You added a tag, whatever they did. So right. for commercials, maybe 30 markets or more, you start adding that up. I mean, that's a lot of money. Yeah. Well, now the 30 markets or more and the, the national part of this came later. This was actually started as a regional campaign for California with their local advertising agency in Los Angeles that only handled this region. So that's okay, how it started. Really, it was, this it is it interesting, a, too, because we talk about the three kinds of commercials, local, regional and national there and you, go. you never know um i i tell a story in my master class about a woman who you know booked a little 300 healthcare job that she literally ended up doing every two weeks for 10 years yeah. so audition for everything in the beginning yeah oh absolutely absolutely not yeah. i was not yeah. too good for anything yeah um so uh uh this for this four commercial campaign ran in California, Oregon, and Arizona, Ooh. and it was so successful because the Mac Knight ca character was this happy-go-lucky, like nightclub singing. You know, I remember it. I know that you guys remember it too. I can just yeah. When the head. clock yeah. strikes, hey, half past six, babe. And it was uh, it was done to the tune of Mac the Knife, that old Bobby Darren song. Uh huh. And they got a singer uh, named Brock Walsh who sang with the McDonald's lyrics. Uh, so I was basically kind of like I'm a big puppeteered moonhead, crescent moonhead with sunglasses on it that was had a mouth that moved by puppeteers off camera. Wow. They had to work in concert with me and and them and the soundtrack of Brock Walsh singing. So we all had to work together. That's amazing. Did you when you recorded that, did he have to fill in your mouth movements or like you said, you worked together? How did that work? Because it was it like a dubbing thing or how did it work? 
Yeah, uh, he he pre uh, Brock pre recorded the song, so we had it on playback on set. So okay. so I lip synced to him. I say I, the puppeteers, the puppeteers. and I lip sync and movement sync to that song that was already pre-recorded yeah and of course i'm remembering your head but was your whole body was in the the whole body was in the commercials as i recall well, right? it was yeah uh the head was the head was on me and then i was wearing a sparkly like a gray gray silver sort of sparkly suit uh -huh. with uh, you know a tie and like and funky shoes and it looked like i belonged in a nightclub Sitting at, at uh, sitting on top of a of a cloud or a rotating hamburger or whatever with a uh, at a grand piano. <laughs> That's great. While doing all this, like hey, you know, singing, um, and uh, it was wildly popular. And they were they were gearing this toward their adult audience. That would be the after four p.m. crowd. That's why the nighttime moon character. Right. Right. Uh, so it was wildly successful. So the national office in Chicago at a different advertising agency, McDonald's said, we want you to pick up this campaign and make it go national. So they did. It did. And it was wildly popular across the U.S. Wow. So popular that they took it international. And on this commercial, these commercials end up playing all over the world yeah. for three years. So they had me come back again and again and again for more and more commercial shoots. I ended up doing 27 commercials as that one character for those three wow. years. I mean, you were probably able to really live off that money. Well, I bought my first house from McDonald's. Yes. So, thank you, uh, yeah. So thank heaven for that. I'm loving it. Oh, yeah. I am loving it. I am still <laughs> loving it. And yeah. there you go. That's fabulous. That's fabulous. So, and so, those things can still happen. I mean, I think they are um, less common because mostly, I don't know what you think about this, Doug, that commercials just don't seem, one campaign doesn't seem to run as long. People have short attention span. I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's yeah. the reason why. I, we don't see commercials like Where's the Beef and Mac the Knife where that just really a character is attached to a uh, to a, uh, a a commercial entity or you know a brand as much yeah well you know and I think well that's just the whole the whole wave of television has changed you know back then when I when I started we had our three networks Fox came along while I was in my in the middle of my career uh, as a so as a fourth network and then we had some some cable and that was it and right. so now. You know, now, okay, so let's, now we need to fast forward because this is so great. Um, and I could go deep dive into all of these moments with you. Yeah. So after Mac the Knife, and I'm sure you were working on some other things, because while that campaign ran for three years, I'm sure that wasn't the only thing you were doing. What started happening with the acting and the film career? Right. Uh, so because of that, um, because of the creature effects makeup people that worked with me on the Mac Tonight campaign, wow. and then they would they would go to, back to another shop as uh, and then refer me for an alien job or animal man hybrid that they were working on at that shop for that movie, that TV show. I started getting calls at home going, hey, I worked with you on this thing. Uh, we have another thing. Would you want to come in? And, and I love how you're like, you're literally, if you this, can't, this is, yeah, the old phone. Making like, it was literally like the phone, right? They called your house phone. We didn't even have My phone. landline. That's what I, that's all we yeah, had. What about, then. or did you get a page sometimes? We got the pagers going. I right? got the pager eventually. Sure, sure. <laughs> and then called like, them back the on my landline. And then you called, them, or you had to go to a pay phone. Right. Anyhow. Okay. Oh, so, those are the days. So anyway, then uh, what? Well, then what? Yeah. So, uh, uh, so that, that's what really my career happened instead of, of, of an agent finding a casting notice, sending me on an audition with a casting director, the bulk of my career happened by a, a side phone call from the creature effects house saying, you know, here's, here's the, the creature we have that you'd be perfect for. Can you come in and do, do a little test run? 
Um, so I did that. And then, and productions like a big movie or a TV show that, that, uh, that had hired the, the creature effects uh, makers to create a monster for them. They just kind of trusted their opinion. Like, you know, you've worked with this guy before, you know what he can do. Oh, but yeah. That's great. Cause that was, I was outside their personal wheelhouse. They knew how to, yes. you know, produce a TV show, but right. they maybe didn't know how to work with a monster. These guys did. Wow. So, so right. they trusted, they trusted the, the monster makers opinions. And um, so the monster makers opinions. I love it. Believe it or not. Did yeah. you work so, with um, Stan um, Winston? Yeah. Yes, I, I did indeed. Okay. Many oh, jobs with Stan Winston. Yeah, I want to uh, hear about and, that. Uh, Rick Baker and yeah. uh, Tony Gardner and um, uh, Greg Canham. I mean, all, all the big ones. I've and if we're because your name once you're in that loop, yep. uh, you get passed around that loop. You know, it's very very uh, re- referral based. Um, and I just want to I want to bring this back to some of our listeners that might be just thinking about like I want to get into voiceover, but I say the same thing. When you find those clients and usually it's in local markets that are not Los Angeles, New York, right? We want you guys to pursue this work because now voiceover is literally everywhere. They will be loyal to you in the same they way will. that these creature effects people started to know this is our guy when they come to you and you start being able to do their you know their trade show voiceover they want to keep coming back to you because you are trustworthy and get the job done and that is exactly what Doug was doing in the creature world so what was the big break into film when you started uh you know getting to work with you know the big the big people like Guillermo del Toro and so on right well, um, I, I, you know, I've been working in, in film anyway, but I, you know, big break is that's a, is the, I had several breaks along the way, but I guess, I guess meeting yeah. Guillermo del Toro was, was a life-changing experience for me, obviously. Cause, Cause now I didn't even realize that he, that you, that, you know, when, when you read about you, they talk about it, a col- they talk about a collaboration between you. Yeah. And yeah, that's very sweet to hear. Ooh, I mean, that, yeah. I got lucky when I went to the DGA to see a screening of, Hamlet with, um, uh, I'm sorry, Macbeth. <laughs> I say that. Um, I think Macbeth, am I supposed to say it three times? I'm in my studio. So, um, yeah. <laughs> but um, with uh, uh, Denzel Washington and uh, directed by uh, uh, one of the Cohen brothers, which Cohen brother, but the interview was Guillermo del Toro came out to interview uh, Joel Cohen. And I was like, what a what I had we had no idea, but there was going to be a Q and A, and he led the Q and A. So I just was oh, so wow wow enamored of the fact that I got to see these two greats on stage. Yeah, what was it like meeting him? Uh, he is well, he's magical. Um, and it, I, I met I met Guillermo del Toro because of one of those creature effects house referrals. Of course, he was doing his first American film uh, in 1997. It was Mimic. And, uh, and they, I got a call from the creature shop saying, Hey, are you free tonight for a night shoot? Uh, they tried to get a background actor to come to play one of their bug guys. Uh, it was a, a life-size cockroach that was, it's a whole part of the storyline. Okay. Anyway, um, that was attack- attacking the subways in New York. Of course. And, um, and they were, they tried to, they were trying to do some pickup shots for the movie. It already, it already been principal photography done in, in Toronto. Now they're doing some pickup shots in LA and, um, you know, they, they thought, well, we can just get a tall, skinny extra from central casting or whatever. And they got, they got this guy into the suit and then didn't, he had no idea how to move in it, uh, or make it, make it, you know, follow direction basically on the spot. Right. Right. So I got this call from a referral from the creature shop that made the right. suit. Right. And uh, 
and are you free tonight? And I went down uh, downtown LA, stood on top of a, of a building and looked over the edge of it in, with a rain machine hitting me. And, uh, and I, I did what Guillermo wanted. He, Guillermo del Toro was the director. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't really meet him that night, but then they asked me, they loved what I did and they want me to come back the next day. I worked on it for three days doing some pickup shots for them. Okay. And the second day was on a green screen set and uh, with small, smaller crew. Lunchtime, I sat across the table from Guillermo del Toro. Oh not knowing that that he who he was uh yeah, he, that's he, what he, i was uh, gonna say which is probably great because there was well, no yeah and no not many americans guy. yeah not many americans did know who he was at the time right. because he was huge in mexico he had quite a, a career <clears throat> with spanish language television and films uh, that he'd done he'd done one feature film at that point uh so so I, I i had no idea who i was sitting across from and then he was like you know so so tell me everything you've been in before. He really was inquisitive about my career and my monster bits and what rubber bits I've worn and who made them. Oh, he was, oh he God. loves artists and yeah. and monster makers. So turns out that he knew everything I'd been in and, and like, oh yeah. And then he knew the creature effects makeup artists who had done, done my work on me. And he was asking what they were like. And uh, so we really were like, all of a sudden we're two 12 year old boys going, eh, monsters are cool. And, um, <laughs> So uh, by the end of that lunchtime, he asked me for my card so he could keep in touch. And uh, five years later, I got a call uh, uh, from another creature. Five years later. Yeah. From a creature effects house saying, we're working on a new movie. Your name came up today. Uh, The director says he knows you. Can you come in tomorrow and meet us? It was Guillermo del Toro. And the movie was Hellboy, the first Hellboy movie. Oh and gosh. the character was the blue fish guy, Abe Sapien. And when they looked at the sculpture, everybody said that should be Doug Jones. And Guillermo del Toro, directing the movie, said, I know Doug Jones. I, and that's I why sat I got with him call. and talked to him. <laughs> right. So that's why I got a call. Oh, my God. That's amazing. So I another thing for uh, aspiring voice actors, I always tell you, send it and forget it. Send your auditions and forget it because it might not be that job. Right. No, no true. Right. Doug worked with Guillermo del Toro for three days. Well, you were you did this thing for three days, then you sat mm-hmm. with him and you didn't hear anything for five years. Now, did you sit and wonder, gee, I wonder, you know, no, no, if no, that's no, ever no. going to happen? You probably you send it and you forget it. You have these encounters. You keep yeah. working. You keep working. Right. You just yeah. keep doing your thing. So amazing. That's and I moved. You always have to just move on to the next thing. There's always something else in front of you that you need to tend to. Right. Right. And so I, but now, now voice wise, let's talk some voice yeah, talk let's here. Talk some voice uh, talk. Let's do it. Uh, regarding the Hellboy movies. Uh, when I was offered the role of Abe Sapien in the Hellboy movies, um, they had already talked about, the studio had already talked about, because my makeup was so extensive and so um, unrecognizable, I was unrecognizable in it. Ron Perlman was Hellboy and he still kind of looked like, you could tell it was Ron Perlman okay. in, in this Hellboy. Right. But with my makeup, they were having trouble getting an A-lister to... Uh, you know, to take this role with that much of a seven hour makeup application. And it just wasn't, you know, appealing. Right. So the, the studio had this idea, let's get somebody who's good with physical and then we'll voice over him with somebody famous. Uh-huh. And, and so I was, so I was told that was the plan. And I, I said, Oh gosh, please don't do that to me. I if I play the role, I want to keep the entire role. Yes. Were you able to say that to someone? I did. Oh no. I said it right on the spot when I, Wonderful. when they told me that. When Guillermo told me that was the plan, I was like, oh, gosh. So he said, well, you know what? Uh, if you give us the voice and the sound the character needs, then we'll we'll add your name to the pool. Now, the pool was uh, Kevin Spacey, uh, uh, Steve Buscemi, and David Hyde Pierce. And now That's I'm little, getting my little, name added to theirs. 
<laughs> you know, and they're all fantastic. So, uh, and they all have very specific sounds, right? Right. right. So could I compete with that uh, if that's where their mind was? And if they wanted a, a, a name to put on the marquee that wasn't Doug Jones, I was nobody at the time. Right. This is, you know, 2003. Right. So, um, uh, anyway, so I, I filmed the whole movie, but I felt like I was auditioning for my role every day because the voice hadn't been decided yet. You know what I'm saying? So it added a certain pressure to my to my daily routine. So when you were acting, uh, acting it, even though they were going to do voiceover, could you even be heard with all this makeup on? Or- yeah, yeah. Uh, it was- so you were actually doing the lines as well? Absolutely. Yeah. There, there was a soundtrack with my voice on it for sure with everybody else's. Yeah. Okay. So you had and, to remember, you had to do, you had oh, to be the actor, you had to be the creature and you had to act it. Oh yeah. Everything everybody else in the movie was doing. Right. Love I it. was no different than Ron Perlman, you know, on set. Right. And the, the, uh, the sound when I, when Guillermo del Toro told me, you know, we'll add your name to the pool. Here's the sound I want Abe Sapien to have. He said, I want it to be kind of a mix of uh, Niles Crane from Frasier there comes David Hyde Pierce. <laughs> of course, David Hyde uh, Pierce. Right. Yeah. Mixed with a little bit of Hal the Computer from 2001 A Space Odyssey. Ah. So very, you know, very prim, proper, very, you know, very articulate, very. So uh, so I kind of did my best to affect that sound. And uh, so by the end of the movie, everybody was watching dailies back in Los Angeles. We filmed in Prague uh, over in the Czech right. Republic. And um Everybody was happy with what I was doing. And then when it came time to do the cleanup voice looping, you know, uh, ADR sessions. Yeah. They had me come in first uh, before any of those other names that were mentioned. I cleaned up all my dialogue. I, uh, and at, even at my lunch break, the, the sound engineer uh, behind the glass came out and got me in the hallway and he said, Doug, I want to tell you, you're doing such a great job of this character. He sounds so amazing. He didn't have to say that. So I went home from that job that day going, I, they need to look no further. The voice is decided. It's all me. Two weeks later, I got a phone call from Guillermo del Toro himself saying, uh-huh. uh, there, you, David Hyde Pierce is going to be voicing, voicing over me. I was no. absolutely crestfallen and, and, uh, but I, and I, I asked him, is it a performance issue? Is that what was wrong? Uh, he said, absolutely not. Everybody, including the studio loved what you did, comma, but didn't you promise us a, a celebrity voiceover? Right. So that was a part All of right, that. Part so of the- listen, Ad, uh, once again, another thing completely at Doug brought the goods and can we hear a little bit of that? That voice that didn't get to make the camera. <laughs> well, Abe Saban was, he, he might have been a bit higher pitched up here and talking very properly like this. Very sing-songy, very melodic. You sound right? just like David Hyde Pierce. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so so uh, I want to just, again, I always like to bring this stuff back to some things that I teach in master classes or as part of voiceover training and pitch, you know, the idea. I, I call it the three Ps, pitch, pacing, and physicality. Um, so let's talk a little bit, just let's go on a little bit of, sorry, about a little tangent about pitch and how you can change the character, make the character younger, make the character maybe wiser, make the character more articulate when you thought David Hyde. And this is another thing that we do a lot in voiceover, right? We say, okay, they want a celebrity sound, but I I say, we don't mimic that. We want to go for the attitude, you know? Right. And that's what, what the, 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 um, Adjectives you were using, prim and proper, when you think of Niles and Frazier, yeah. you think prim and proper, right? Right. Oh, exactly. And I and I and I'm not I'm not an impressionist. I don't want to try to mimic somebody else. And I no, I don't think anybody should, but we can create characters. Right. Have his vibe, his feeling. Yes. Yeah, have the vibe and the feeling. Yeah. Okay. So right. 
All right. So that is interesting. So, but, um, but now, now here's the good news. Okay. Uh, yeah. David Hyde Pierce came in to, to voice over me uh, and he didn't know what he was walking into exactly. And uh, he saw, so, you know, in a, in an ADR session, you're watching, you know, clips of the yeah. film and you yeah. are uh, lip syncing along or not, no, you know, but you're, you're syncing your dialogue along with what you're voicing over. And I'm just going to remind for our audience that may not know ADR stands for additional dialogue replacement. So the film is done. Um, this happens in loop groups as well, where you have to sometimes, uh, fill in words like, um, do you need some water? If the waitress says, you know, they can't mic everybody in the background. So, but when you are voicing over your own words, there's like usually three beeps and then you, you come in and you're matching your own dialogue. So, Right, what right. Happened? So, so David Hyde Pierce is, is now um, looping over me, um, and the, what he's watching and he's listening. He, my my original um, soundtrack and, and my cleanup job from my ADR session is in his ear, ah. and so so he's listening and watching. You know the the playback before he does his own bits, and he stepped back from the microphone. And he asked everybody, "What am I doing here?" That was a huge compliment to me. And were you there? When I was not happened? there. No, I was not. I heard about this secondhand, but okay. But uh, but he was wasn't sure why what he was there to fix, you know. Uh, so that was nice to hear. Yeah. So because of that, because he liked my performance so much, he voice he did he finished his job, and I thought that he did great. You know, I didn't. I had no no uh, issue with with his performance. It was wonderful. But when the movie came out, his name did not show up in the in the main title credits, nor in the in the uh, rolling credits at the end of the movie. And when asked why, he said it's out of respect to Doug Jones. Wow. You know, that, I did not expect that. He didn't. That wasn't necessary, but it was so sweet of him. And I still haven't met him to this day, but when I do, he's going to get a kiss right, you know, right on the right cheek there. What, what a wonderful act of kindness. And again, yeah. you know, lead with kindness in everywhere you go yeah. and everyone you meet. Because yeah. when you hear a story like that and you think so you then, know, have big egos, that's wonderful. Yeah, no, sweet, sweet, sweet. And then, uh, but, but what one part of the conversation that Guillermo del Toro and I had on the phone when he was telling me this is what's happened, mm -hmm. he said, if we get to do a Hellboy 2, I will keep your voice intact. And I'm like, okay, well, thank you for that promise. That's very sweet. Well, between Hellboy 1 and 2 came two animated films, Hellboy okay. Sword of Storms and Hellboy Blood and Iron. And of course, now it's just the voice. So... Oh, they offered you know the roles back to Selma Blair and and uh, Ron Perlman and they went to David Hyde Pierce first because he had the exact sound from the first movie. Right. Uh, he politely declined. Wow. So then uh, what they did and their first thought was well let's get someone who can mimic David Hyde Pierce. So they went to a loop group and they tried to find somebody who could voice for this animated thing that would be a David Hyde Pierce knockoff. Right. Yeah. Ron Perlman saved the day. He was in for his recording session. Now, by the way, we were in for separate, uh, you know, uh, for the animation like that, you're in by yourself usually, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and just and, so you know, th that's uh, comforting to know because we're always by ourselves now doing voiceover. Yeah. But yeah. Even, even in those days, you know, doing doing that dialogue by yourself. Yeah. Right. You one line at a time and then you would try. Yeah. So it's, you have to, it's rough. You really have to keep your context as, as the and, scene and plays remind, out. Because uh, on an animated series like that, I know it's sometimes done differently, but animation was done first. No, no. The voice was the done first. Yeah, they animate to I you thought. later. Right. Okay. Right. Uh, so uh, Ron Perlman is in for his session and right. he's hearing, you know, Abe Sapien dialogue that he has to respond to. And it's this knockoff, you know, uh, voice mimicker. And, and he said, ah, 
he told he told the producer and the other behind the glass why don't you get to get dougie jones back in the, for this because uh, he he was much closer to the right sound for abe than than this guy is Duh. So, <laughs> so that's when i got the call uh and so i came in and, and i did abe sapien's voice for the both animated films they aired on the cartoon network went to dvd later and the audience response was a, a resounding why didn't you have doug from the get-go it was really, really sweet to hear. Really, awesome. and, and it was close enough to David Hyde Pierce's sound that nobody even was jarred by it at all. Right. So by the time Hellboy 2 came around, there was no question that I was going to be keeping my own voice for that. So I did. And yeah. uh, so there, there's a, that, that's there's a story. Interest, that was such an interesting story of yeah. winding through and and of of to be the voice of your own character. Okay. <laughs> so um, we're going to fast track a little bit because we're running out of time. Um I am am most uh, enamored of your performance in Shape of Water, um, mm-hmm. mostly because it was just such a magical movie and this love scene that had to occur and just the fear of the your character's uh, fear of of just fear, like of of being in this world. Um, and can you talk a little bit about that and the physicality? And then I want to talk about video games. Two. Yeah, Those are my two things I want to hit. Um, well, you know, I actually first before we get to Shape of Water, let me yeah. f- mention video games because the one video game I did voiceover was Hellboy: Science Thank of you. Evil. That's what I was so, wondering about. So, did right. was there motion capture for that, or was that um... this is before motion capture was a part okay. of the deal? Okay. Um, uh, again, so I basically was was just in a in a blank room, not watching anything, not being just with a microphone. So trying to channel this very physical performance with just my voice, you know, Um, and and, anyway, the video game was much different than the animated movies because the video game has options. You have to record all of the options, right? If you, once you kill, you know, this is something people don't think about when they play video games. I don't think that somebody went in there painstakingly and had to do all those, you know, if you get into this room, this is going to happen. Right. Right. To this level, this is going to happen. Wow. Right. If if you make the shoot and make the hit, this is the reaction. If you miss the hit, here's the reaction. If you are running and you hit a wall or you don't hit the wall, different reactions, lots of lots and gobs of body sounds and oofs and ah and strains and efforts. So and- this is very, very important because I myself am taking a motion capture class and realizing and learning about this. Um, what, what do we call them? Uh, they're not just called physical reactions. They're ta- they're called uh I don't know. They have a word for it, but what I, I, they usually will use the word effort. I think efforts. Thank you, efforts. So you 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 have this different sound when you take a hit. You have a different sound when you take a hit to the face, to the chest. I remember when I learned stage combat at one point, and I and I actually said this to a motion capture actress, and she was like, "That's great." Um, when you get hit in the if you if you think about your body and your pitch when you get hit in the head versus the chest versus the stomach you can go from high to mid to low. What are some tricks that you could give right. our listeners about efforts? Well, this comes in handy no, no matter if you're doing animation, voiceover, or uh, or if you're doing um, looping your own role that you've done on film already. Totally. Uh, I have to recreate those motions. So I, I'm very physical in my voice sessions. Um, and you know, you're wearing a headset and you have wires. So make, make sure your wires are somewhere that they're not going to be knocking into the mic or, you know, because right. you often have a lavalier mic and a, and a boom mic sitting over you for these sessions. Right. So you just want to make sure you're not knocking into anything and ruining the sound. Right. But, um, but I, I will be, I jog, I, I move my body around and, and take the, and I might even 
slug myself in the stomach for a, you know, for the right poof. Um, and uh, and I, I do, it is, it is a trick to try to recreate that motion with your voice, you know? Mm, mm, I love that. Right. And so giving that some thought, because sometimes for video games, you'll get a whole series of just efforts and you have to record them and yeah. you have to make them sound realistic. So it's right. a huge thing. And it's, it, there are classes in it and it is, I highly recommend, yeah. um, uh, you know, looking into that video. And, game. and you mentioned the, the motion capture. Um, now, now that I do have a voice agent, a dedicated voice agent along, you know, I don't really audition much for voice work because that's not my main thrust. Yeah. But when it, when an offer comes in for me for a voice job, they're the ones who feel that. Yeah. And I've been getting um, uh, uh, the the motion ca- like video games with like they want you to give the visual performance and the audio performance, and that comes through your voiceover agent where. Um, you know, this is for a game, but they also want to capture you on film. Yes, um, and I, you're absolutely right. And I'm literally learning how to do this. I mean, yeah. I spent uh, um, yesterday uh, rolling around, reacting to a monster that wasn't there, realizing yeah. how hard that is to do, uh, <laughs> ducking and b- pretending I was getting swiped. Then I had to, a gun fell out of my hand. And, you know, I watched back. I'm like, that did not look real. So not only do I have to create, I'm good with the voice, but now I have to, to make the physicality reacting to literally something that's not there you know right there's so and many skills to this one of the best examples of this i don't know if you, it, everyone talks about this video on youtube of benedict cumberbatch um as smog from the hobbit movies there's if you look this up on youtube it's one of the most fascinating videos i've ever seen yeah he was crawling around for motion for motion capture right and and he had the microphone hooked to his face too and he was giving all of the dialogue with this very low side of like yeah i'm a big dragon kind of a sound and it was it was mesmerizing to watch this this raw footage of him before the, the animation was put over him oh, wow. amazing unbelievable that is that is really amazing um have you had to do motion capture in today's world for any this is the weird thing it the assumption is that of course i would have but of course i have not (laughs) i anytime (laughs) you've seen me as a monster it's been glued on to me in practical form yeah right so to kind of um we're not going to have time on this we may have to do a part two feeling it but to talk about the physicality, this is something I talk about a lot in voiceover. I think when people want to get into voiceover, they think I'm going to buy a microphone and I'm going to be just using my voice. But what we do physically comes out in the voice. When I it smile, does. you hear it and all these things. What are some like nuggets that maybe you, know, you have experienced um, through working without your voice and with your voice that you could elaborate on regards right. to that? Well, I think as an actor, you need to start with the, with just w- what is the character's wants, needs, loves, you know, wh- what what is their background? What are they, what are they, how do they fit into the story? What's their part of the plot? All those things have to be there for any actor in any role that you play, no matter whether it's visual or voice or whatever. And I even I tell people for commercials, do a quick backstory on where you are and who you are. Yes, go ahead. You're right. So if you give them some layers and dimensions, uh, that will come out in your 30 second audition. Yes, yes it will. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right. It does. It does. Right. And that'll make the difference between you and the next person. It really will. 100%. Um, <clears throat> and uh, uh, wait, what you know, the question was, wait, no, oh, yeah. Okay. Nuggets so, about that, yeah. So mentioning, let's talk about the shape of water now that you asked about yes. that too. Okay, great. So here we are with a, uh, a, um, a character that is nothing but fi- but visual. Uh, they're what, he's a creature from the wild, does not know have verbal dialogue Did skills you have at all. Guttural sounds, or I'm trying to remember, was there any 
anything there like were that? sounds that were all added in later yes okay. um okay. uh creature monstery sounds uh with also efforts and breathing and he was getting sick throughout the movie and and was sounding more wheezy and th- so that all had to be done later um uh and i i did some but but also here's a little fun fact about guillermo del toro as a director that was that, that was our sixth movie together by the way oh um God. but he has a, a he has a love for adding his voice to the monsters that he's filmed so oh yeah. my gosh yeah. so we are sometimes hearing so you are sometimes hearing Guillermo del Toro maybe layered in with other voices as well uh so that was um you know he does he add, he loves to do little gurgly sounds and and whatnot so so some of that in the in the creature from the shape of water was Guillermo yeah hashtag fun fact but um but with the dialogue, yes, go ahead. I was going to say, but the di- dialogue between Sally Hawkins, who was a mute woman, mind you, That's right, uh, right? She, and and between a mute woman and a creature from the wild, there was no nothing, no words to be said. No words. Uh, yes. But she spoke um, sign language, and she taught him a couple of words, and so they. But really, what they communicated through was touch, and a tilt of the head, and eye contact, and. There's something about those forms of communication that you can't lie in. You know, yeah, words can deceive, but your touch is very, very pure, mm-hmm. I think. And, and uh, your intentions and what you feel come through that touch. So that's how that's how our characters fell in love was through those forms of communication, you know. And you mentioned, so, I think, in the interview, if I'm remembering correctly, that you had a chance to work with her for a couple of weeks before you before. were in costume. And, uh, you know, so you got that. You had that connection that you developed. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. we had a dance number in the movie that was kind of a, a you know, a, a fantasy a dream of hers that yeah. she was having of, of the two of us being in a black and white MGM musical. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. she was singing in this in this number and I was dancing with her. So it was like Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers with her yeah. singing. Love it. And uh, and so we had to learn a dance routine. Neither of us trained dancers, really. So we had three weeks of dance rehearsal before the movie started filming. And it was really a smart thing on Del Toro's part to do this for us because during those dance re- rehearsals every day with a, with a choreographer and just us in a big dance studio, we bonded in a way that I've never bonded with another actor on before we start filming. Because when you're dancing with someone, you have to trust yeah. dips and lifts and yeah. not stepping on each other's feet. There's a trust that builds with all that. Yeah, and we also had our downtime between you know when we take a little break and sit on the floor and and we would laugh together, cry together, talk about our fears of like this movie's going to be huge for Guillermo. Can are we up to the task? Both of us had that imposter syndrome thing. I, I remember you saying it, um, yeah. and I think we all can can get that. I even had a little bit when I was at the Epic Impact Society on the creative <laughs> panel. I'm like, what am I doing with this producer from Lionsgate and this composer and filmmaker? You know, sure, but, sure, but. The truth is when those opportunities and and I call them opportunities, which is when you're prepared and the opportunity comes together, it's an yeah. opportunity. Um, when you really spend the time preparing, which is why the coaching, the training, the mime school, those things will get you to the place that when the opportunity and you know Guillermo del Toro has a conversation with you and you are hireable because you're ready for that. You know that's 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 my two cents on that. Um, yeah. On creature sounds, if you can just give us a few minutes about creating creature sounds for different kinds of creatures, how do you do mm. that? Right, right. Well, um, so so many of many creatures have like an imposing 
type of presence in, in a film. And so that might use the lower register and okay. more of a, and even when you're breathing, it's like a lot of through the nose. Like, and, you know, and mix it up as it comes out of you. Okay. Um, uh, then there's other, um, uh, then there's some, if it's whimsical and light and, and, and funny, and there's something up in this register, you know, up in there, um, that's, that's always fun to play with. Uh, so it all depends on the, on the, is it a, is it a dark piece? Is it a light and funny piece? Okay. Is the character tiny in size? Is the character huge and like 50 feet tall and looming? All so that comes that you can take on is going to affect the pitch. So putting those things together, right. What I find so fascinating about voiceover and yeah. I will, uh, Lisa Foster is one of our, one of my colleagues and she's a teacher at such a voice. And she came up with this amazing graph that I use and we use in our master classes where pitch is on one side and, um, volume is on the other. And so it's yeah. really tactile and it's kind of what you're talking about. And I always talk about that lower left, which is that that place that you just went that could be really scary. But the what's yeah. interesting is also in that lower left is, hi, how you doing? Yeah, you're right. <laughs> so when you really start tangibly thinking about, you know, putting the, this is why voiceover, this is why we need to coach and train, right? To be really yeah. good at it, take the time to get coached and trained so that your demos can be good, your creature sounds can be, you know, amazing and just keep working at it. But that, I love just how you think about the posture and the pitch of a character. Yeah. You know, so, and I love like what you said. I, I loved how you've been harping on this and it's a really good thing that, um, cause you, you've talked about, um, opportunities. Um, <laughs> I, I, uh, I, uh, luck, you know, uh, people outside the business say, Oh, you're so lucky. So lucky. You've been so lucky. Luck, luck must be always oh, right place, right time. Huh? Well, okay. Mm. Uh, <laughs> right. Luck. Right. Luck to me is when opportunity meets preparation and what you're talking about with the training and, and, uh, and life experience and all those things come into your, that's, that's the preparation you've done and you have to be prepared when that opportunity hits. And that's where your luck comes from, you know? Right. And that's why we don't, we don't skip the training part. If you really want to do voiceover, you don't skip the training, right? You, you can't. Yeah. You can't skip the training because that's going to lead you to great demos, which is going to lead you to good jobs. And then you can start building just like Doug did from banking mm -hmm. to there's got to be a good metaphor in there from banking to <laughs> b balls to the walls. Um, yeah. uh, so tell yeah. us what's next, because I know that you are working on some things where you get to be Doug and you were talking yeah. a little bit about, you know, I'm never going to leave the creature world behind, but you are doing some things now where you get to be an actor. Without yeah, well, um, right. Well, I I just just finished my lap, my final season of Star Trek Discovery, where I'm in a yes, I'm in a another rubber alien makeup for five seasons, right. which we and love. Don't ever stop. Don't ever stop doing. Well, that. we'll 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 see. Oh, yeah, and I'm 63 years old as of tomorrow, so I'm going to um, happy birthday. I didn't well, know we thank got you. the birthday episode. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, so, uh, you know, the older I get, the older the process of, of prosthetics gets. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm exploring more human characters now and I'm really, that's what I'm seeking at the moment. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and, but, but in the meantime, uh, season five of Star Trek Discovery will be airing early 2024. And that's my Saru character, also intelligent and well-spoken. And he doesn't, he never speaks in conjunctions. Uh, so it is, I am, you are instead of it's I'm your, um, so even when they write, when, when the writers forget that I, I'm the one who has to remember always speaking in proper 
full words. That is so fascinating. I just want to point that out because sometimes, you know, when when I teach voiceover as well, thinking about, okay, this is a commercial and you, it, it's the, the line is, I want to go to the store. You might be, I want to go to the store and that's perfectly mm. fine. But what, but here is a character that Doug right. is talking about that specifically doesn't do that, right? Yeah, it's a no. character choice. Right. Saru would never say wanna. Right. right. Exactly. You never say wanna. And yeah, that yeah. is just, just to point out that that's where you can discover a character in something as simple as one little thing like that. Right. Or perhaps, you know, try something out in an accent that you're never going to actually use for the recording, <laughs> but you might find, oh, when I speak like this, I, I say different words differently. And then I speak right. different words differently in my American right. accent. Exactly. Now, meanwhile, also, I'm still a recurring guest on what we do in the shadows as well. Uh, right. and so there's Where season can we five. See that? Where can we see that? Yeah. Season five of what we do in the shadows. I've been I've been with them since season one, just, you know, a couple episodes here and there. Uh, but I I'm doing three episodes of season five and that starts airing July 13th on FX channel and then next day on Hulu. I love it. So I love it. You can I binge what we do in the shadows on Hulu still. Uh, all four seasons are, are right there right now. Uh, with five coming. And uh, so that character, I'm Baron Afanas. I am a, an old world vampire from Transylvania. So with that, I have to, every time before camera runs, I have to uh, remind myself, you're talking like a, like now my Eastern European accent is, is it might be Romanian. It might not be. And it doesn't matter. It's a funny show. So the the worst, exactly. The the worst the accent is probably the better, you know? (laughs) So, but before, before every take, all bad accents, it's it's right. Right. So before the camera rolls to get myself up to speed, I just, I repeat something Dracula might say, which is I bound to suck your blood. So when I do that, that gets me in the right mind frame to continue. I want to, I want to pull the thread on that a little bit because that is using catch phrases. Yeah yourself into character when i worked at the renaissance fair yeah we had some catchphrases and i still remember them one of them is the hot on the card is the hot on the card if you wanted to, if you were royalty and you wanted to get in the upper class yeah um i'm trying to remember some of the lower class there was something else right catchphrases like whatever it takes so come up with them for yourselves especially if you're getting into animation yes and you want to do characters each character could have a catchphrase Right. And I, I learned that from an actress friend of mine, Christine Deaver, who was doing an Irish accent for a play once. And she said before, she just had to keep saying stars, moons, clovers. Which <laughs> 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 like the Lucky Charms slogan. Right. Whatever it takes, everybody, whatever it takes. <laughs> right, right. Um, and studying and listening and, and, and uh, you know, utilizing our time. The thing is that we have these little these little handy iPhones and, and we can record ourselves and listen back and you can right. repeat things as you commute. So you know, you take your voice with you everywhere you go. And right. um, so to wrap up, any advice for aspiring voice actors in particular that we haven't covered and any passion projects that you still want to do, you know, write your own project, create your own content? Do you have those things brewing somewhere? Are you working on your own screenplay or pilot or anything? Yeah. yeah. Um, unlike many actors, I never want to direct. Okay. Uh, Fair enough. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not much of a writer. If anything, I'm writing. I'm I, I, I'm four chapters into writing a novel, but I started during the pandemic, and okay. I have to pick that up again. Yeah. Uh, and if that ever, you know, if that was ever screen worthy, maybe I'd want to play the lead character. I don't know. You know okay. But um, uh, advice is a tough one for me because I uh, I I uh, like I, I think like 
the the main thing that I want to inspire is uh, is the possibilities. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, anything is possible, mm-hmm. and like I said to those Midwestern parents, if you <laughs> go into a theater, if you turn on your TV, if you listen to to a radio play, uh, if you're watching a cartoon and there's a voice coming out of it, uh, that means that it can be done. And that means that you could be one of those people who does that thing, period, right? There's nothing, no, no reason why it shouldn't be you. Right. So pull, keep, keep your dreams alive and reverse engineer them, you know, imagine right. what it would be like to do it. And what could you do today to get there? Maybe to get there. Um, start coaching and voiceover. Maybe right. And also listen to other people's stories. Um, like, you know, what, how did they start? What was their path and journey? And you'll find that everyone, every actor in any, any mode of the, of our business has a different path to where they got to where they are, yeah. uh, how they got to where they are. So, uh, so I, I don't started a bank a, in Fresno. No, exactly. There, there is no, <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't advise that path. No, I'm not but, saying go get a bank, you know, go right, get a job but, in Fresno, but but that that was my path and so uh and it's all they're all going to be different and what you can do is is hear people's stories read read people's autobiographies and and find like oh okay so uh, you know and what little pieces you can pull from them you might you might see a common thread in all those stories that that's what you want to be doing whatever that yeah. is you might hear you know and there's so many ways to 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 uh ingest content now you know some people are like ah, i don't read you got audiobooks, you've got podcasts like this. Right, right. So many ways to hear people's stories. So thank you so much for being on the voiceover pod by such a voice today, Doug. It was an absolute thrill to have you. And uh we might just have to have you back and hear what's going no, on. Okay, it's a deal. Okay, thank <laughs> Thanks you. Thanks so, so much for much. having me. I love it. If you want to know more about the fast-growing, incredible world of voiceover, come to an intro class or schedule a voice evaluation with Justine. You can contact her at JustineReese at SuchAVoice.com. That's J-U-S-T-I-N-E-R-E-I-S-S at SuchAVoice.com. Or check out our website at SuchAVoice.com. If you like the podcast, let us know. Leave a review. Thank you for listening.